did you guys know that there is an energy crisis? Like, we're worried um, as, as a group that we're going to run out of energy one day. Like, it's finite, and we're worried about how much of it we use. Now, um, I don't worry so much, having been on a submarine and operated a nuclear reactor. Like, I know that if we, just, if we were to do some different things, we could figure it out. But the, the, the search that we have is for perpetual energy, like something that would, that would be able to feed itself and be this ongoing compounding thing that we would never run out of. Like, as a society, we hope that we come... There's a lot of people that are investing a lot of money, a lot of time to try to figure out what the next source is. And, and maybe you knew about that. Maybe you didn't. It, it's okay, because really, that's not what we're talking about today. Like, we're not talking about... Uh, an energy crisis. What I wanted us to see is in, in that, that there is this, this thing that carries on and it's this perpetual life-giving thing. We have today, as the church, we have a perpetual life-giving source of power. And it, and it builds on itself and it, it grows and it magnifies and it gets larger and it gets more beautiful and more full. And what we have is we have the gospel. We're in the book of Romans and we're looking at the the power of God for salvation, the gospel of God in Romans and what He has done. Like, how has God saved? And what does that produce? It produces this beautiful church that we're going to look at today. This gospel-driven church. This church that both believes that what God says is true and then shares that truth with someone else and that stirs more belief in them. Do you see, do you see how that's compounding and how it builds and how it grows? This is what we're looking at today. Paul, is, it's an introduction and it feels like, man, it's just kind of formal. Like He's got to say that. He's talking to a people. He's got to say some things to introduce himself. But look at what he says. He says, I, I thank my God right, for each of you, for, for what God is doing. He's thankful for the church and what God is doing in the church. And so this morning, we're going to unwrap this passage, and I've got to tell you, it's a gift for us this morning. It's a gift that you and I get to unwrap together. We get to see what God has done through the the gospel work of Jesus, His Son. And then we get to see what He's doing, producing a bride and a church for His glory. And then we get to like look left and right and be in front of us and behind us, and we get to see and celebrate. God is doing a work in His church. He's saving the lost. You and I. Taking us who are sinners and making us in the saints. Bringing heaven to earth. Just like when Jesus comes, he, He brings heaven to earth and then he gives that, that commission to the church to go and continue to do that same thing. Like, that's amazing. And it's a mystery. Like, the angels are, look at it and they, they look and wonder and they're like, man, that's crazy. God's using these sinful humans and he's showering them with his grace and he's transforming them and conforming them into his image to be his image bearers on earth. To bring His beauty and His love and His sacrifice and His grace to a world that desperately needs it. That's the gift we're going to unwrap together this morning. So I hope you're excited. I know I am. Um, God is, man, this week in preparation, I'm reading 
the way that Paul writes to the churches, and he has this incredible love for the church. And, and we know that that's, that doesn't make sense because we know the story. If you don't, if maybe you've forgotten or maybe you aren't with us, Paul used to be Saul. And as Saul, he was a Jew who persecuted the church. He said that it, it was a sect and it was a lie and it was a heresy. And so he worked really hard to persecute the church. And then God meets him on the road to Damascus. Jesus, the risen Savior, meets him and his whole world is rocked and changed. So much so that he's no longer Saul. God calls him to be Paul. And then that Paul writes these words that we look at today. These words in Romans 1. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. It's amazing. So many things just about that one line are amazing. That he would claim Jesus Christ as his Lord. The Jesus that he persecuted. The, Jesus, the church that he persecuted. Now, it's his, it's his great hope. It's his great love. It's what God has called him to. And he's thankful for it. This morning is also a unique morning for us. We're part of Acts 29, which is a church planting network. And so... Uh, we believe that God's mission in the world is going to be fulfilled through the local church and what He's doing. And so we're, we believe that so much that we planted this church and that God's been kind in that. And so we celebrate uh, once a year with churches around, around the world through this network, like, God, what you're doing in church planting. And this is what Paul is writing to this small church in Rome and encouraging them and saying, man, I hope that I get to come to you and and give you some encouragement. And you get to give me encouragement. And that we get to proclaim the gospel together. So we just rejoice in that. We have some literature in the back if you're interested in that. If you, if you feel like, man, I don't know, maybe God's called me to be a church planner. Come talk to me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you about that. and See, see what God's doing in that. I also think that um, I just want to celebrate the way that we go about doing that here. It's a, it's a faithful way through our gospel rhythms. Like We, we talk about this perpetual motion. Right? We, we believe that we celebrate the story of God as, as Matt was talking about in our prayer of confession. We lift them high. Like, what has God done? And then we connect that story to our story because each of us has an individual story, but it only makes sense and it only comes to its beautiful fruition when it's captured in God's story. Like, your story and my story makes sense because of who God is and what He's done. So we connect our story to God's story. And then that makes us a community of people that have been saved by grace, that get to continually sit at the foot of the cross and point each other to Jesus. Like, I know your day, I know your circumstances look like that, and you're, you're justified in being angry or being frustrated, but, but don't forget like what God has done, that, that He has saved you, that He has taken you from your sin and your shame, and He's given you His righteousness. And so we get to gather together as a community at the foot of the cross, pointing each other to Jesus. Man, what a gift. What a kindness of God that he would give us each other. Just like Paul is celebrating today that there's a church. And then as a community, we gather together and then we scatter together. In both places, we contribute to that story. We contribute to that celebration. We, we sing songs of praise and contribution. We actually go and meet the needs of the community that God has placed us in as His hands and feet. We contribute to the story of God. And as we're telling that story, we begin to celebrate it again. And then the whole cycle starts over. It's awesome. It's, re- it's just one faithful way 
of being able to look at that and say, God, what is my purpose? What did, what did you call me to do? What, is, what are we doing as a church? We're walking through these, these things each week, and it's not just on Sundays, right? We, we, not, we didn't come to church. We are the church. You have been bought at great price to God. He gave Himself so that you and I would be able to walk in this life. You see, and, and I got a little ahead of myself. The church isn't like this, uh, it, it doesn't just keep going. It, it actually has a center. It actually has a source. It actually has a fuel that fuels it. It is the gospel. But the beautiful thing is that gospel work is done in Jesus. He, he lived a perfect life for you and I. He died a sinner's death for you and I. He was buried, and then he was resurrected victoriously over sin and death. Maybe just remember last week, right? Easter Sunday, we celebrated. No, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. It's not a, it's not a once-a-year thing. It's an everyday thing that we celebrate. That Christ is risen, and he ascended into heaven. And his triumphant ascension is what drives us as a people to be the church. Not to go to church, not to celebrate for an hour and a half, or even maybe if we're super sacrificial a couple hours a week. No, God's called us like to live our lives for His glory. This morning we want to we see what Paul's celebrating. So let's pray and ask God to give us ears to hear. Lord, we thank You. We know that this is, um, this is counter to our nature. By nature, we're selfish people. And yet You have called us to be a people of contribution, a people of selflessness, a people who have been so captured by the grace of God, so grateful for your grace that we would live generous lives. So Lord, I pray that you would do that in us today. I thank you that you're doing it in the kids, even downstairs, Lord, in their joy, celebration of your kindness and goodness. Lord, may we celebrate the same way. May we scream and shout. May we rejoice at what you've done. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. In verse 8, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul is laying the groundwork for what would compel him and what would drive him, and that groundwork is gratitude. Gratitude that we've already seen, if you, if you back up to the verses leading up to this, gratitude that we've already seen in verses 3, 4, and 5, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace. Paul knows that he has received grace. It is not his work. His work was anti God, anti-Jesus and what he was doing in the church he was building. So he knows that if there's any love for the church, it's because of the grace of God. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Remember, context is important, right? Paul is writing to a church in Rome. If we know anything about history, Rome at this time is ruled by an emperor, and, and the emperors were not always uh, favorable to freedom of religion, particularly a religion that would say something like Paul says in verse 8. 
I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. In verse 7, he said, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Rome, there was only one Lord at the time, and it was Caesar. They would hail him as Lord, as conqueror, as the one who was in charge. And now you have this, this group of gathering believers who would say, no, we have a different Lord. We have a Lord Jesus Christ. And so even that, that proclamation that they would make, would put them in a lot of hot water, put them in a lot of trouble. So what's causing them to do that? It's their faith. Paul's remembering that these people have a faith. What we see also is that they are made up of Gentiles and Jews. People that normally we're starting to realize they're having a hard time getting along. They've got different traditions, different heritages, different cultures. And Paul says over and over that you have one Christ. You are united in Christ. And so we're seeing that the fact that they would have a common faith, a unified faith in the risen Lord Jesus is so spectacular that it's actually being heard of throughout the world. He believes, Paul believes that it's the gospel that has formed this church in Rome. And it's, it's well known. It's being heard of throughout the world. This gratitude that he has for what God is doing is not isolated and it's, it's not individual to the church in Rome. If you read any of Paul's letters, you would normally find somewhere in there that Paul has this great appreciation for what God is doing. That God is being glorified in the church throughout the world. Now Rome is interesting because he hasn't been to Rome. But he's heard about Rome and he's hoping and praying that he gets to go to that church and share with them in what God is doing there. But I was reading, man, I, I just spent the time this week, and I want you to do it too. Like, if, if we've got homework, here it is. I try to give some every week. But go through the first, go through the epistles of Paul, the letters of Paul, and usually you'll find it in the first chapter somewhere where he thanks God for what's going on in that church that he's writing to. And it's beautiful. But the one that really stuck out to me with this was his gratitude for the church in Philippi. In Philippians 1, 3-11, I just want you to hear these words. So, kids, if you're writing, just pause for a second. Hear the words, because it, it's really relational. It's really beautiful. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in, de in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more, with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul has this incredible gratitude. An incredible thankfulness. And it's not even to the, to the people that he's writing to, it's to God who is producing in these people His glory, His work, and there's this confidence that Paul has that as he's writing to the people, it's not in them that they're going to finish the work, right? He says, no, but I'm confident 
that Christ will be faithful to complete what He has begun in you. I have good news. We can all look at the people in here today and we can be assured that God is not done with what He is doing in each of us. And for some of us, that's going to make us really happy that God is not done with us. And for others of us, it's going to make us really happy that God is not done with the person sitting next to me. Okay? That's, that's true. That's just kind of how we think. Some of us are very thinking about ourselves right now, and some of us are thinking about others, and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not. But that's okay. I, the promise of God is that He is faithful to complete the good work that He's begun in you and me today. Paul is thankful for that. Back in Romans. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. He has this great gratitude. A great thankfulness to God for what God is doing in His church. What God is producing in His bride. So some questions that you and I need to ask then is, are are we truly grateful for what God is doing in our lives? I've got all these things in my head. Like we just need to have an attitude of gratitude. You know, there's all these beautiful alliterations and, and catchy little phrases. But the reality is that if we have a gratitude for the grace that we've received, it changes everything. I no longer stand in my sin and say, God, I deserve this. No, I stand in my sin and I'm like, God, I deserve your condemnation and your judgment, and yet you gave me Christ. Who am I, Lord, that you would love me so much? And so how can I stand and condemn myself or condemn others when you have not condemned me, but you have given me Jesus? This gratitude changes everything. So are we truly grateful for what God is doing in our lives? And then the second question is, are we thankful for what God is doing in the life of believers? In His church? Not just here. Although there's plenty to be grateful for. And I, man, I had a whole list and we were going to be here an hour and a half. It was going to be awesome. Like I was just going to start listing all the things that I know that God is doing in us today. And maybe we'll, maybe we'll do that over at the picnic afterwards. So feel free to come and, and let's enjoy and rejoice in what God is doing. But the reality is that He's doing so much more even than what we see. Think about Acts 29. I think about church plants. I think about all the, all the church planters I know and what God is doing in, in the church as a whole. Big C church. Drawing sinners like you and me. People who were rebellious and and against God in our sin. And He changes us and He shows us His grace and He calls us and gives us a a heart of flesh where we only had a heart of stone. Man, God is doing this beautiful thing. Are we thankful for what He's doing in the world? I'll I'll give you a, a cheat sheet right here. The indicator for are we thankful is how are we praying? Does your, do your prayers begin with gratitude and adoration of who God is and what He's doing? Or do they, do they always seem to be focused on me and, and what I need? And, and so that's a good indicator. And it, it shouldn't bring condemnation. It's just to say, man, you're right. I need, to, I need to let God's Word inform my prayer life. I need to start praying the Psalms. And the beautiful thing about the Psalms is David and, and the psalmist pray and they ask God for actual salvation and actual rescue, but they also praise and glorify God for who He is. Whether He would change the circumstances or not. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
He is good. He is righteous. He's pure. He's faithful. He's beautiful. And we get to see that in His Word. Secondly, in this passage, as you follow along, verse 9, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I mention you. This is more just that continued gratitude for what they are doing. And then verse 10, Always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. He's praying, asking God that He would be able to come to them and know them and rejoice with them. And yet, he doesn't get to go, and so he writes this letter. This letter to the Romans that is full of this rich doctrine and beautiful wisdom and and this reconciliation of of Jew and Gentile and, and a gift to the church for thousands of years. So God, Paul doesn't get to go to Rome, so he has to write this letter. Can you see where that is a gift both to the Romans and to you and I today? Like, God has a plan. God knew what He was doing. That, that Paul had not yet gone to Rome so that he would write this letter and communicate his love and his grace to you and me today. What a gift and kindness of God. Paul is grateful. And then in verse 11 and 12, we see this encouragement. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Why does he want to go to Rome? Like, why is he saying all this? He wants to go to Rome, to this church, so that he can share with them encouragement. What is the encouragement that he wants to share with them? Well, we find out in verse 15 that it's preaching the gospel. The gospel that they've already heard and believed and that they're taking hold of, he's going to preach it again so that they would rest in that. That's the encouragement that he wants to give them. But also, Paul's been given a, a couple different peculiar gifts. And he knows that. Maybe the gift is being able to explain things. Maybe the gift is this passionate preaching. Maybe the gift is being able to connect how uh, the, the Old Testament connects to the New Testament. As you read Romans, you begin to see that. But what we, what we do know is that Paul has gifts. The beautiful thing that he says here is that that church has gifts that he needs. Do we see the church in that light? Do we recognize that I need you and you need me? Like we need the gifts that God has given us together as a whole? We're not isolated. God is creating His body, which is one thing, which He is the head of. And so you and I need each other today. And so we sacrifice. Man, I was just thinking about the the sacrifice that goes into gathering on Sundays. The sacrifice that goes into community group on Wednesdays where people are are taking time out of their day to make meals. The sacrifice that goes into when somebody's sick and we send them meals. Like There's a, a ton of things that go into loving each other and needing each other and supplying the needs of one another. It's this encouragement that we get from each other. I'm so thankful for the encouragement that I get from each of you. God is so kind to us. And Paul, knowing that, wants to go to Rome so that he can share in that encouragement with them. He longs to go to them so that he can give them a spiritual gift and share his gifts. He knows that God has given the gifts to the church and then he needs them. And the encouragement is mutual. And I just want to take a minute and, and 
look at what encouragement is. We talk about discipleship. We talk about um, pointing each other to Jesus. And often, in Christian culture, that has been thought of, and I've thought of it, so maybe you haven't, but I have, as someone who is mature discipling someone who is immature. Like, the, the older, wiser person takes the younger person and trains them up in what is good. And I think that happens. I just don't think that that's the definition that God has for discipleship. Like, we are making disciples each other. I think about my children. And this week, um, I was overwhelmed because I was calling out some of their selfishness. And every time I called out some of their selfishness, I began to see my selfishness. And it was just exposed right in front of me. And so, am, am I discipling them or are they discipling me? Right, We're discipling each other. We're growing in the knowledge of who God is together. Recognizing that um, we both need this gospel truth. And so discipleship really is encouragement in truth. It's that we both, in a relationship, bring the truth of God's Word and encourage one another. Paul writes in Colossians, and he, he's reminding them, he's encouraging them, he's discipling them in Colossians 2, 6, and 7. He says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. That's what it means. Like We get to encourage one another and then call each other to be thankful and grateful and walk in that together. So first, Paul begins with gratitude, what God is doing. Then he points to encouragement, the encouragement that he would be able to give to the church and the encouragement that he would receive from the church. And finally, in verse 15, he talks about proclamation. Let's pick up in 13 where we left off. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He wants to preach. He wants to proclaim the good news. Right? Gospel means good news. The good news of Jesus. What Jesus has done to the church in Rome. But haven't they already heard it? Like if they're, if they're a church that are gathering together in the midst of persecution, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of suffering, haven't they heard the good news of Jesus? Like that's the only thing that would compel them to gather in that place. Yes, they've heard it. And you know what they need? To hear it again. You know what you and I need? To hear it again. We never, we've talked about this before, but we never go to to Christianity 201 and leave the ground of the Gospel. No, the Gospel work is both how we enter into the Kingdom and it's how we live in the Kingdom. That Christ came and died for sinners like you and I. If that ever gets old, there's something that's dead and broken in our hearts. If it ever gets old that God would send His only Son to pay the price that you deserve, we've got to check our hearts. That should be something that continues to stir us up. And maybe, maybe it gets repetitive. Yeah. Maybe we get dull to hearing it. Maybe our ears get dulled. But it should never grow old. And, and I'd say when it 
gets dull, start, start speaking it. We talk about preaching the gospel to ourselves. Like just start remembering it. Start rejoicing in it. Start praising in it. And then watch how God transforms your heart. You see, because Paul comes to proclaim, but before he can become, be a proclaimer of the gospel, he must be a partaker of the gospel. Like you and I can't go and talk about what Jesus has done unless Jesus has done that in us. We, we looked at it earlier in verses 3 through, 3 through 5. He's already talked about what Jesus has done. That He was the Son of God descended from David, the Anointed One, according to the flesh. And that He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead in verse 4. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. So he, He's acknowledging He has received that. That's the only way that He has anything good to give. Is this if he's received it from God? Today the question would be, have you received that? Do you know that you are dead in your sins? Dead means dead, as my buddy Matt says all the time. Like dead men don't pick themselves up by, the, by their bootstraps and suddenly figure it out. No, dead means you're dead and Christ has come and he's lifted you to life. By His grace. By paying the price for your death. By dying the death that you deserve. And in that moment, it's not just that we're, we're washed clean and the, and the whiteboard is, is clear. No, in that moment, He also gives you His righteousness. It's called an imputed righteousness because He puts it in you. On your record is the righteousness of Christ. So that if you imagine your life as this whiteboard that was filled with with black dry erase marker of all the sins, and, and you think, man, if I could just get clean, if I could just be neutral, if I could just get it wiped off. But the reality is that it doesn't just get wiped off. Then in red, it's written, every obedience of Christ. His faithfulness, His love, His generosity, His grace, all of that is on you. Because of if you are in Christ. Man, that's beautiful. Like, you didn't deserve to have your sins forgiven, much less to have His righteousness given to you. And you and I get to walk in that today. We were dead, and Christ has risen us. He's drawn us from the grave. Resurrected us, just as He was resurrected. You see, this is the good news of the Gospel. And as we believe that, now we go out, and we can't help but begin to tell people about that. Like it's going to start to invade our conversations. It's going to give us a smile when circumstances are really crummy. And people are going to be like, man, what is going on? Like, your life is chaos. You're in the midst of extreme suffering. How can you smile? How can you rejoice? And we get to proclaim the good news that we've partaken in. That Christ is risen. And because He's risen, and I believe that He's changed my heart, now I am risen too. And, and yes, the circumstances are hard and they're rough. But this is not my hope. My hope is who Christ is and what He is doing. My sin has been forgiven. The biggest problem I have has been taken care of by Jesus. And so we become proclaimers. And that is what Paul wants to come back and do. So I am eager to preach the Gospel to you also who are in Rome. This Gospel and and as we're going to see, verse 15 flows into 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. He knows that he 
has been saved by his belief. He's not ashamed of it. So I pray that God would do that deep work in our hearts, that we would be a partaker of the gospel, that we would believe the truth of it to the point where we're not even ashamed that we're crazy, that we're called to be uh, aliens in this world, that we're called to, be, to live differently, holy lives, that we would not be ashamed of that, but we would walk with joy and excitement into that. I love, we're going to close out our time today singing the song, Look What God Has Done. God, through His Son Jesus, is saving the lost. God, through His Son Jesus, is healing the sick. God, through His Son Jesus, is taking sinners and turning them into saints. And we get to rejoice in that. Never looking at the gift as the, as the great thing, but the giver as the great thing. God who is faithful. Jesus who is faithful. Rejoicing in Him. So the call then this morning is to rejoice in what God is doing. Rejoice in, in Jesus who has come, who has purchased life for dead people like you and me. The call is to rejoice in what God is continuing to do as He transforms His church. The, the call is to remember what God is doing in your household and in your place of work as God is, is saving and redeeming and then to let your joy overflow. Like, don't hold back. Don't be ashamed. Rejoice in what God is doing. We should kind of be a silly people. We should always be smiling. We should always be joyful. Because God is so good and His work is so beautiful. And what He's doing, like, like Paul writing, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Pray that that would be our joy today. Let's pray. God, we do thank you. Lord, we don't deserve this grace that you've given us. And yet what we've seen in Romans is that it's this free gift. That we couldn't earn it. And so you came. You humbled yourself. You took on flesh. You walked in perfect obedience to the Father. Jesus, you walked in perfect obedience to the Father. And then you died a death that you didn't deserve. For a people who were rebellious, people who were mocking you, people who beat you and nailed you to a tree. God, I thank you that you have not left us in our sin. God, but you have redeemed us from our sin. You have atoned for those that would trust you and believe in you today. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for some. God, for some of us that have heard this good news many, many times, and yet it's just been news, I pray that today it would be saving news. That today we would take hold of it and say, you are my God and you have saved me. You've given of yourself so that I would be made right with you. Lord, that we would rejoice in that. God, I pray that today we would walk in resurrected lives, that we would walk differently from our old lives, that we would be changed. God, that we would walk in holiness, that we would walk in a passionate pursuit of you, that would bleed over into every other relationship that we have, Lord. 
God, I pray that our joy would be full at the picnic, that our joy would be full as we go and travel. Lord, as some would go to the air show and they would see these amazing jets, but they would just recognize that that's nothing compared to my God. My God is powerful and mighty, strong and beautiful. Lord, may we rejoice in you today. In Jesus' name, amen.